Hello, and welcome back to the Modern Day Rebels podcast. I'm your host, Julia Frank, and every other week I sit down with a modern day rebel who actively challenges the conventional. We reflect on the current systems in place, uncover the newest findings, and shine light on the areas that are still a work in progress. Together, we demystify terms and topics you might be familiar with but never had the chance to dive into and answer the questions we didn't know to ask. In today's episode, I sit down with Margot de Broccoli, who is the founder of Secret Sunrise London, which is a silent disco combining meditation and free movement. It's a lot of dancing. And I met Margot at one of her events a couple of years back and still think about that event to this day. So I'm so excited to be able to have her on the podcast and chat about the magic behind Secret Sunrise. Throughout the episode, we talk about how she helps spark real human connection and how she helps people step out of their armor. We also talk about how with Boost, her corporate events, she has flipped team building on its head, bringing fresh energy into the workplace. From leading leadership summits for FTSE 100 companies to instructing crowds of over 5,000 people at one time, Margot brings a new take on group engagement and what it truly means to be an architect of moments that matter. I absolutely loved having this conversation, so let's dive right in. All right. Thanks so much, Margo, for taking the time to chat with me today. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Margo, and I run something called Secret Sunrise in London, which are basically events that are a blend of mindfulness and dancing uh, through silent disco equipment. And I do that for the public and for companies. And it's Great fun. And in the theme of this podcast, why do you consider yourself a modern day rebel? Or why might someone else consider yourself a rebel? God, I really like that question. I think I never used to see myself as a modern day rebel. I went through um, the very traditional path, kind of academic, studying economics. I was doing internships in, in banking and finance. So very much the traditional route. And yeah, two years down the line, I suddenly find myself teaching CEOs how to dance with silent disco headphones on. So I feel like that's so absurd in a way and so against all the all the things that I thought I would be doing that um, yeah, maybe I could consider myself a modern day rebel. So let's go to the start of it all, because you mentioned you had a very traditional path in economics. You did a yeah. bachelor's in economics. Where did this all start? So I think I was always, I always kind of had a motivation that I had this this vision that I was going to change the world in some sort of way. Um, and I think economics was that the most tangible thing I could I could imagine doing to really have an impact. Uh, but the moment I started studying it, I really quickly felt the sense of something was missing. I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I didn't feel like I had a passion, felt a bit lost. And so I took a year out after my first year of university and moved to South Africa pretty randomly on my own. I was 18 at the time, didn't know anyone there. And that's kind of where it all started. So actually my Airbnb host took me to a Secret Sunrise event on my second day. And just thinking about it gives me, gives me shivers because it was such a clear moment where I felt so much passion and so alive. And I'd never actually felt that way. So I really feel like that's the moment where it clicked. and. And at that point, I really knew like there was something in that that I needed to pursue. And I had no idea what it was or, or why I was doing it. But but it just felt really, really right. And so you you go to this event, you have your kind of like, this is it. This is what I'm passionate kind of ignite something in you. 
how did you then translate that to moving back to London, going back to your degree, mm-hmm. and at the same time kind of building this company? Yeah. So at the time I went to the uh, to the first session, I didn't really know what to do with it. So I trained up as an instructor um, there, but then I had to leave Cape Town. Um, so I only was able to teach one event, and then and then I flew back. And I was meant to go to South America for six months, and I did go. And after two months, I kind of felt the sense that really that was what I was meant to be doing. So I flew back to London super quickly and just thought, I have four months before my degree starts again. I'm going to give this a try. Maybe I'll run one or two events. It'll be really fun. And then I'll just get back into my economics degree. And I just became so passionate and I would almost say obsessed with what I was doing that every day I'd wake up at kind of like 5 a.m. fired up and just wanted to really to really work on it. And the the demand was met in a way people loved it as well in London and and by the time my degree was starting again, it was it kind of had turned into a full full business. So then I had promised myself I was going to finish my degree. That was always the big condition. So I kind of juggled both for a year, which I would not recommend. Um, and and yeah, now I've been doing it full time since since a year. So to kind of talk me through that experience for those who haven't been to a Secret Sunrise event or don't really know what on earth it is, what exactly yeah. does the experience entail? So it's a one hour session and people are given silent disco headphones and there's three facilitators who guide people through a kind of journey. So it starts almost with meditation, with softer classical music, and then there's a gentle warm up and then the beat picks up. And it's really the idea of encouraging people to shake things out, to get outside their comfort zone, to move in a way that they haven't moved in a while, to connect with other people that they don't know and just really at the core of it is like letting go of people's armor and everything that we just kind of like put on and pretend that we are and just trying out for one hour what it could feel like to do things completely differently and to be weird and allow yourself to express all those kind of yeah crazy things and then we wind it down again and and yeah really creating a space for people to connect and and to interact with each other to reflect a little bit on how they can bring bit of novelty into their into their everyday life. And the mission kind of within Secret Sunrise, you talk about creating meaningful moments and creating real human emotions and connections. How do you see that that movement kind of brings that about? Or what is it about these one hour experiences that kind of help facilitate that? Yeah, so for me, one of the big elements is uh, usually we do it in the morning. And there's something about waking up early and doing something completely different that you really intentionally place there just for the pure reason of having fun and, and, and enjoying the moment. Because I think, especially in cities like London, our lives are so kind of, everything has to have a purpose. So I go to the gym and I go and, and I do this and everything really has to have a bigger reason behind it. And we rarely actually take time to just, yeah, experience some really strong emotions, experience a beautiful moment. So giving ourselves that space is in itself so powerful. And then there's different elements, the music element, music creates such a strong emotional response in the body, bringing that together with being with a group of people. Dancing is so powerful. And it's something that as humans, we've been doing for for centuries, but somehow nowadays, it's only we only really do it when we're drunk, and there's less this element of celebration, almost of like a ritual of coming together, which is really primal, but just does something to us where it 
yeah, it makes us feel good and it, it makes us feel connected and a sense of community, really. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we've kind of moved away and we almost, you know, like you just mentioned, need to have alcohol to to dance? I mean, I've been to one of your events in the morning. It was absolutely fantastic. But I went there and I was dreading it. I was like, you know, very resistant to the movement. If you were to tell mm-hmm. me not to dance, I would completely be like, ah, not happening. That's the one thing I don't do. So where do you think that happened, that change happened? Well, dancing has become something that really has quite a strong negative connotation for people because there's so much ego involved and there's so much, I think there's a lot of people have kind of traumatic events around dancing because either they don't know how to dance and it was always embarrassing. There's also for a lot of women, the experience of it not feeling safe to dance in nightclubs, for example, is not fully safe to express themselves in that way. So it kind of moved away from being something that just feels good to something that you need to be good at. And I think that's something that we do a lot nowadays. We don't paint just for the sake of painting anymore. We only paint if we're good at painting and we only dance if we're good at dancing or we sing if we're good at singing. So it's really that idea that there needs to be some kind of final product that 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 looks good. Really. And I think that's a really interesting thing I've noticed is you kind of, I was very, in the first kind of couple of minutes, I was very stuck in my body. I was very like observing, okay, what are other people doing? I'm going to kind of copy that. And, you know, how am I feeling? Yeah. And is, are people watching me? Oh, this is a little bit awkward. But there's this really interesting thing that happens that you almost don't care after after mm. a couple of minutes. I'd say maybe half a song, a song in. Is that something you traditionally see that people seem, to, if they come to the first event, seem to be quite resistant and then kind of that ego kind of breaks down? Yeah, definitely. I think it's the realization that everyone only really cares about themselves and no one's worried about judging you because everyone's way too worried about being judged themselves. So it happens kind of people look around and they realize like no one's actually watching what I'm doing. So I think there's really this click moment. I do this a lot with companies and and for them it's obviously in the in the kind of team structure it's even stronger because there's so many different dynamics um at work. So what we often try to do is start with our eyes closed so that people can't actually look at each other and more have a sense of tuning in with themselves before they slowly open their eyes and and kind of feel comfortable doing what they're doing already. I think that's a really interesting aspect of what it is that you do because you both, as you mentioned, do this for kind of the public, anyone who wants to buy a ticket. But then you also founded Boost, which is kind of team building flipped on its head, you like to call it, is yeah. these team events. And, you know, being surrounded by colleagues while I'm dancing, while my ego's involved, I think that sounds like my personal... I mean, any type of team building event, I think nowadays you get eye rolls of like, ugh, has a really bad reputation. So what made you realize, okay, I'm doing this, people are really loving it, but, you know, you kind of get a certain self-selection of an audience kind of self-selects in those aspects to being like, okay, right, we've got to move into companies, we've got to bring this to team building. Interestingly enough, when I started kind of three months in, program director of the London Business School got in touch. So it happened quite accidentally. Uh, and I was pretty scared of doing it, of, of leading the sessions for corporates as well at the start. And yeah, I remember the first session so clearly. We were at the at the London Business School. It was a French company of, of engineers. It was all males, all over 50s. And they'd been told it was a surprise session. So they had no idea what to expect. 
and they get there. It's seven a.m. They and they realize that it's me standing there in my colorful little leggings, handing them out headphones. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they didn't realize I speak spoke French, so they were kind of all that that feeling that you described those eye rolls. In French, they were saying like, "What is this crap?" Another one of those kind of shitty team building sessions. And then something really happened. They put on the headphones. They closed their eyes and they were super reluctant to it at first. And then kind of five songs in, it was crazy. You had these like 60-year-old people who were just like on their knees having fake air guitars singing to ACDC. Um, and then at the end, I made them do something where they would stand in front of a co-worker that they know the, the, the least well in the group and look into their eyes for just the length of a song and just really try to imagine that person not as just a team member, but as a human. And kind of imagine what their passions are, what they do outside of work, and, and really feel that bond if, they, if they're willing to let go of that facade. And six of them cried, and it was just the most insane thing because they came out of it and their expressions were so... I felt like it was exactly what I had experienced for that first session. Something had been sparked inside of them and they couldn't put it into words and they were completely clueless about what it was, but it just, yeah, it, it shook them in some sort of way. And they've been coming back so many times that London Business School. So, uh, so that kind of that first session was real indicator for me that there was there was something there, there was an opportunity there. Do you now kind of go into these sessions of like, oh, yep, you're they're all going to be resistant, and yes, <laughs> it's, it's going to go away completely. And I never stop being nervous either. Every <laughs> single time before a corporate session, I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> it is an interesting piece I find with you know you alluded to it of like modern life is that we you know we we park ourselves at our desk we're all kind of intellectual we're all up in the mind and it's almost like we we cut ourselves from the body and something Mm. beautiful that happens in your sessions is that sense of that sense of embodiment and kind of getting getting back into the body when you do go into these corporations right I'm imagining you know you've you've been to Coca-Cola Deloitte law Mm. firms any kind of quite traditional kind of industries when you go in there as you mentioned in your colorful leggings and you're saying right we you know we we combine the benefits of meditation and free movement what is that initial kind of response well the the interesting thing is that often you have to there's a gatekeeper in a way so the 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 hr director are usually the people who would book those sessions which kind of has two benefits because First, you have to convince them, but they're only one person that you need to convince. And then they book it for the team. And the really beneficial thing is that the team doesn't really have a choice afterwards, which sounds horrible, but it means that it puts everyone in the same room and really there's not that element of self-selection that you would have for the public events, where it's probably the people who already consider themselves as creatives and outgoing who would tend to go to the sessions. But you really get everyone in the same room and... And actually, the people who are often the most introverted really, really enjoy it because there's just everyone can take it to their own level and will never tell someone kind of you have to be doing more, you have to dance more. But you'll see the introverts, they'll be they'll be moving a little bit and they'll be just at the edge of their comfort zone and the extroverts will be screaming and jumping on the tables. But there's this element of just meeting everyone where they're at and taking them a tiny step further. Now that we have a big list of clients, it's a lot easier. But at the start, uh, the first ones, I really admired them because it's such a it's such a bold thing for them to do as well. But I think they're also kind of looking for these things nowadays where they can do something that delivers a bit of a jolt and that really will leave an impact on people. Kind of building that impact, right? I think 
looking at traditional team building, I feel like they they all have very similar goals, right? T- team building yeah. traditionally wants to bring that sense of connection, wants to bring, you know, that team closer together. What is it, do you, do you think that's so different about your approach? So I think traditional team building often feels quite artificial because it's, you'll have things like treasure hunts through London or those kind of things. But what we've done is we've really focused on one niche, on one concept that for many people seems completely absurd and insane. And we're just going with it. And we're not trying to do, offer a million different things, but we kind of really tapped into something that works and that's so different. And and we're just going with that, yeah, with that one thing. And it, as I said before, it elicits such a strong emotional response in people because it is so different that almost by being bold enough to do something that no one would actually really dare to do, it'll, it'll leave an impact on the team. And it is really about kind of creating this this fresh energy, right? You talk about bringing yeah. fresh energy to the workplace and helping people step out of their armor. Is that where you really see the breakdown of, of the egos and what then facilitates these these stronger teams? Yeah, I think it's something about creating cultures where vulnerability is allowed in many ways. And, and that's something that's quite a big topic in, in kind of team building and those kind of things. It's, it's creating a, an environment where people actually show up as, as themselves and as, as being human. Because I think at work, especially, people often like to pretend like they know exactly what they're doing and put on this facade. And, and, and that's not productive and, and not conducive to good work because then people are scared of failing and people are scared of doing things a little bit differently. So by giving them this one hour where they can try out to just do things so differently and and go into that place of vulnerability where they're at the edge of their comfort zone, then then that leaves a lasting impact where they can then kind of bring that into into the relationships with their coworkers. I also wonder if it's because, you know, we kind of talked about you could be good at dancing, but there's no really being good at Secret Sunrise. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you can have built the highest marshmallow tower with your marshmallow and your spaghetti (laughs) sticks, but you strip it away from that competitive level as well and that being good at something. You've brought Secret Sunrise to so many different environments, right? You've gone to corporate leadership summits. You also done them with charity with kids. I kind of want to talk about the differences there that you see between kind of adults and younger individuals. Mm. Do you have an easier time there? Completely. I mean, for kids, it's it's amazing because for kids, it's so natural. It feels like, especially when it's mixed events, so public events where uh, adults bring their children, the children just snap into it within seconds. And it feels like for them, it just seems like adults are finally behaving normally because um, <laughs> that's what they do all, all day long. They just play and dance around and, and they don't really have that idea of looking for a goal in everything. So the, I think actually the, the, the hardest age group is, is teens because they're so self-aware and so self-conscious that that's an age group. They really, really take more time to ease into it. It's almost harder than corporates to get um, teens to do it because they want to be cool and they don't want to look awkward and those kind of things. Uh, but yeah, young children, they just, they just fully go for it. So amazing, right? Because this works with really small groups. You've also, I think, the largest you've done over 5,000 people as yeah. well. Yeah. So it really works with kind of any group that you have. Building up to those, do you prepare differently for different group sizes? Yeah, it's it's like the kind of thing where you can't actually prepare that much because you choose a good playlist and, and a lot of work 
gets put into choosing the right songs and those kind of things. But it's also actually the ability to be spontaneous because often the group will start doing things that you did not expect them to do at all. Something in the dynamic will change and something will happen. And, and uh, we had a moment where we did one outside by the London Eye and, uh, and this little grandma came and was just watching from, from the outside. And she really somehow wanted to be involved. And, uh, and then I think, I can't remember the facilitator, they just said, okay, now find the most beautiful object you can find. And people went out and found flowers and those kind of things. And then go and give it to, give it to that grandma, as if she were kind of asking her out on a date or just giving her the most beautiful object. And it was so beautiful and moving because suddenly you had, I think it was 50 people celebrating this little grandma. And, and it was It was such a touching moment that couldn't have happened if you were kind of following a rigid script. So it's both about being prepared, but also just about going with that that energy. Is that something you've had to learn? Because are you you're not a dancer traditionally, right? Not at all. (laughs) And kind of with academia, right? It's very structured. It's very process driven. You love that structure as well. Kind of Mm -hmm. alluded to that in the past. So how did you learn that spontaneity? Yeah, I think that's why I find connecting with the corporates quite easy because I come and I understand where they're coming from. Because five years ago, I would have told you that I'm really the least creative person you meet. I, was, I wasn't good at anything, so I just didn't do it. And, and it's been a process of really just letting go of that need for things to be perfect and just constantly putting myself in the space of, of showing up and seeing what happens. And, and then it comes with more and more ease. But the first times were so tricky to think of ideas and concepts. But it's, I think it's, it's, yeah, once you open your mind to it, anyone can do it. It's really just the, yeah, imagination. That's basically it. And how has that kind of changed with coronavirus and lockdown? Because I know that, yeah. it's, you know, it's a, very, it's a very human element. It's a very human connection element. But you have still been running events over Zoom, right? And digitally as well. So what shift have you kind of seen there? It was something that we were thinking about for a long time, start uh, putting things online. And then we were forced to do it pretty quickly. And I wasn't too sure about it at the start, because as you say, it's that human connection element. But it somehow it works in many ways, because when you put your kind of screen on grid and you see so many other people, and we really incorporate still elements of connection and trying to kind of interact with the people on your screen. There's something else that comes with it because people are in the comfort of their own home. So that also gives them a, a sense of freedom that they might not get if they were in a space with many other people. So I think you lose an element of like touch and and being and feeling the energy of other people, but you also gain something of, yeah, just the safety of being in your own space. And it is, I feel like now more than ever, we kind of crave that the element of, of human connection. You also now do socially distance events. I feel like socially distance is one of those 2020 words now. But, yeah. yeah. And kind of, you know, be, being outdoors, are you finding there's a difference between kind of, are people like, oh my God, we can finally mm. be outside and do this again? Is there almost like a relief? Completely. The first event we did was uh, after lockdown was such an emotional one, I think, because people had so much... We do store so much trauma and stress in our bodies, in every part of our bodies. And when you get the chance to shake things out, to really move, it can create a strong emotional response where just the, the, the stress and the tightness that you've been feeling get released. And that first session was 
one of the most beautiful ones because it was a lot of people who'd been coming a lot before lockdown and just bringing them back into that space. Yeah, there was such a thirst for 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 that connection and and social distancing. As long as we can see people, it still kind of works. So it hasn't had a. We've obviously had to reduce the group sizes and and kind of do big open spaces, but we're lucky enough that with the headphones, that element still really we can make it work. And and as you said, I think now more than ever, it's what people need so much. And tapping into that, right, you kind of mentioned that we we hold a lot of stress and a lot of trauma in the body. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk around like, you know, if you if you watch a gazelle being chased by a lion on National Geographic, like they will physically kind of shake it out. But yeah. nowadays we kind of suppress that. Do you kind of implement some of those elements into into your day to day? Do you kind of do you start your mornings dancing it out or if something stressful happens? Completely. If if I'm if I'm by myself, yeah, for sure, I'll I'll dance or I'll I'll just put a song on often in my days and just stand up and force myself to do it. If I'm in public spaces, it's a little bit trickier. <laughs> but even before this podcast, I felt myself getting a bit nervous and then just standing up and shaking feels so good because immediately you get out of your head and it's either that or meditation. And meditation is almost in a way kind of just releasing and the emotion in a in a mind way or a mindless way actually, but just like letting the emotion take over your body and letting it move in a, is also so powerful because it actually then gets released. It's one of my favorite things to do now. I think it's such an easy thing as well. Like, I mean, it is, I find it really interesting as to like how self-aware it can be even when nobody is around. Oh, completely. <laughs> um, like, you know, even if there's not a single mirror in the room, even if there's, you know, yeah. nobody that could even walk in, I'm still self-aware, but it is such a kind of quick and easy thing to do in between the day, especially when we're kind of all sitting sitting at our desks. Before we wrap things up, I kind of want to talk about your metric or your measurements of success, because you know, you're trying to build um, Secret Sunrise into a more global firm, but your metric is actually the number of smiles, which I feel like, you know, from someone, especially from economics, is quite an, a daring metric. Yeah. So what is it about that that you're kind of like, OK, this is unconventional, but this is the metric that, that we're going with? Because it was the idea of really stripping it down. So we could say, especially when speaking to corporates, kind of, well, you know, this is going to have these and these benefits and stress release. But actually, what if our goal could simply be joy? And it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And I feel like that's the real the antidote to everything that we do, as we said, in, in current living where everything has to have an end goal. What if we could do something just for the sake of feeling good while we do it and feeling joyful and having a smile? And that's all it needs to be. So are you finding some resistance when people ask you? It's kind of, it's it's something that often when people have experienced the events themselves, they they just know what what it means. Before they've experienced it, they usually, they, they'll find anything that they can hold on to, anything that kind of makes sense for them, because it's such a, it's a concept that often people can't grasp beforehand. So yeah, it seems to resonate actually a lot with uh, with people. Amazing. And to finish things off, I always like to ask five questions. Yes. The first being, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? I would say a book called The Big Leap. I think it's by Gay Hendricks. It's quite a famous one of those um, self-help books. And it speaks about kind of what's stopping us in, in experiencing as much, yeah, as much happiness, as much joy as possible. And uh, 
And it just completely changed my thinking about many things. He says that we have an upper limit tolerance to joy, where once we experience that much joy, we then find something to, to sabotage ourselves, to bring us back below our limit. And if we can see where that limit is, then we can just kind of pop the lid of that limit. So yeah, really, really powerful book. And just out of curiosity, this always happens. I want to keep these questions brief and then I, yeah. I get on a tangent. But <laughs> with kind of that upper limit of joy or, you know, things preventing you, when you read that book or kind of took that mindset, was there something you realized yourself that prevented you from feeling that much joy in life? Yeah, I mean, the discomfort, the the discomfort of feeling too much joy almost. And, and there's a sense of... I think especially in the entrepreneur world, there's a sense of things have to be hard and you have to, you know, put in sacrifices and you have to hustle. And if you're not working like 16 hour days and killing yourself while you're doing it, then you're not doing it right. That was definitely a journey for me of letting go of that mindset and actually realizing that I can do the work that I want to be doing in the world while still feeling good and while still kind of, yeah, not sacrificing every other element of my life. And it doesn't have to be this torturous killing myself process to start a company. Out of curiosity, how did you let go of that? I, at one point, it was really just the, the experience of, of but yeah, burnout completely, where I realized that I just can't keep doing it that way. And I think that's the risk when people are passionate about what they do, that we just completely, yeah, burn out. And, and then I realized this is, this is not the message that I'm trying to share with the world. If if I can't embody what I'm trying to teach, then then there's no point in me even doing it. So I just really had to like set strict boundaries and realize that it doesn't make a big difference actually if I if I work 16 hours or if I work a normal a normal day. Um, so yeah, but I think I had to go through that experience of complete complete chaos and to kind of come back. Yeah. Following on from that first question, what are your sources of strength and/or inspiration? I would say Instagram. Controversial. <laughs> Controversial, I know. But I feel like I've gotten to a point now where I've really curated my feed in a way that I follow people that massively inspire me. And I really like this, this aspect of seeing kind of day-to-day -day progress and, and finding people who are passionate about the most random things and, and seeing what they're, yeah, what they're committing their lives to. Um, so I think it can really, really be a source for good. I'm still struggling with it sometimes of spending too much time on it. But if I'm feeling kind of down, immediately I'll go on it and see something amazing that somebody has built and then it'll, it'll light, a, light a fire again. Yeah. It's such a beautiful way of, of using it. What is your secret to success? Um, sleep, I would say. <laughs> Not good controversial well. at all. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a good one. Because I think, I think people, everyone's underslept and no one realizes it. We're all not sleeping enough and we think it's normal to just kind of go through the day feeling slumpy and having to have six coffees. Whereas if you just give yourself like four more hours of sleep, you'll feel so much better and be able to do so many more things than the, than the hours where you're actually working. So yeah, rest and sleep for sure. It's definitely one of mine as well. Yeah. I think it's one of the positive things that has come from lockdown is actually yeah. being kind of quite scheduled with sleep. Mm. Following on from that, what is your definition of success? Mm, waking up every morning with a fire in my belly and feeling excited for what I've got planned for the day. And do you have a way of kind of tapping into that or, or making sure that you do wake up with that fire in your belly? Yeah, just... 
I think it's I, every morning I kind of set three intentions for the day and that really helps me to just stay, stay on focus and, and just tapping into those feelings of like gratitude and really stopping and, and savoring those moments to, to realize how lucky I am to be working on something that I love to be doing and, and not taking that for granted. And last but not least, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life a little differently? To learn to become friends with fear. I think it's something that you'll always feel if you go for an unconventional path because everything around you is telling you to go into the other direction and it'll always be scary if you keep on growing. And I think I used to be really hard on myself for feeling that fear and kind of having an approach where I would try to talk myself out of it. And and yeah, whereas now I feel like I can really see that fear and, and be compassionate with myself and and see that I'll always be scared because it'll always be scary to do those kind of things. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing that. Amazing. If people mm. want to find out more about you, where can they find you? So if they want to find out about Secret Sunrise, they can use just this Instagram, Secret Sunrise UK, um, and they can find more about me, Instagram as well, or LinkedIn, uh, just my full name, Margot de Broglie. Amazing. And I'll put all of those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for taking awesome. the time today. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Such a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If this conversation has led to any insights or you think someone else might absolutely love this episode, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and family. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Modern Day Rebels on your favorite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss the next episode. You can also follow at Modern Day Rebels on Instagram or sign up to the newsletter to stay up to date on the episodes and receive some practical tips and tricks you can easily apply in your day-to-day. You can find all the links mentioned in this episode in the show notes. See you in two weeks.